Well, good morning. I love that little bumper video. Uh, the song is just so upbeat and fun, and it makes me think of something else that's really upbeat and refreshing and fun, and that's camping. Does anyone here like camping? Do you like the great outdoors? We have like four hands up. Okay. Oh, good. A few more. Nice. Uh, and then if you guys, do you lean towards just being on your couch? Anyone just like, hey, no shame? Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, you're a your mom, two kids. I know. I know. Yeah. How old's your youngest now? Amen. Awesome. So yeah, and then you can raise your hand if you like both. Like you like the great outdoors, but you also like your couch. No shame in that. That is not a problem at all. Uh, I, I love both, but I love camping. My wife and I, that's like whenever we have a chance to get a vacation in, and we're like, okay, what can we do that's outdoorsy? And if, since we live in California, uh, there's actually a really incredible place that if you haven't been to, you must put it on your list. It's the Sequoias. It's a little bit north of San Francisco. Have you been there? Anyone? Has anyone been there? Oh, cool. Actually, a few people. Nice. First service had only a few as well, about the same amount. Uh, Yeah, so the Sequoias are a little bit north of San Francisco. It's incredibly beautiful. The climate's great, too. I like it. It's not too hot, all of that. But what's so amazing about these trees is that uh, the seeds start about the size of a tomato seed. So tiny seeds, and then the average tree, the average tree is over 300 feet. That's pretty tall. I don't know if you can visualize that, but 300 feet is no joking matter. And then this picture right here, the tallest tree out of all of the sequoias is 379 feet. It's been measured precisely, and it's uh, towering over plenty of other sequoias right there. But the ones it's towering over, those aren't small trees either. Again, averaging 300 feet. These are organic skyscrapers. How cool. And then also what's uh, amazing about sequoias are that they're able to withstand the test of time. They've been around since the days of Jesus, so that's uh, a testimony of itself, but they are insect resistant. They have withstood fires, California, lots of fires, right? And even droughts. Again, California, we are always in a water drought. That is our problem. And uh, so how do they do that, though, is because of their height, because the average tree is over 300 feet, they extract fog, uh, sorry, moisture from the fog, and that's even in the times of drought they're able to withstand and get the nutrients they need. So why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about sequoias? Because there's something we can learn from them. If we can interview these incredible trees and ask them, how do they do it, we would probably be surprised. If you know anything about trees, plants, you would usually think tall tree means deep roots, right? Tall tree, deep roots. No. These trees only have roots that go about four or five feet deep. That's it. So what would be the answer? Well, actually, the the key to their success is their root system. So what is really cool about the sequoia's roots is that they, they go wide. It's not the depth, it's the width that is surprising. They sometimes go as wide as 100 feet outward. And then not only that, the sequoia roots from other trees interlock, intertwine, and even fuse to become one. They become one. And uh, on top of all that we're saying, these uh, trees, they only grow in groves exclusively. In other words, there's no such thing as an independent, standalone sequoia. I've even walked through the forest, and as you walk through, you are stepping on roots everywhere you go. Because that's their secret. Their age-old secret is their interdependence. That's it. But just like how no sequoia grows alone, I would venture to say that no Christian grows alone. Sequoias grow in groves. I think Christians do too. 
I think that this is one of those times that God is hiding a clue about his design within nature. But not just for sequoias, not just for trees, but for us as well. Because uh, even more importantly than sequoias, God cares about fostering the growth and the expansion of people. So the big idea for us today is that God calls us to collaborate instead of isolate because collaboration is how we grow, it's how we endure, and it's how we advance as human beings, as people, as believers. And the important thing about this kind of message is this is not like a coming down as in we don't believe in that or we're not doing it. This is more of a visionary message that, hey, this is what we value. So let's keep doing it, but let's even examine how we can do this even more. How can collaboration be even more infused into our individual and then together lives? What I love about this, I was talking to a few people after first service. They're like, this bleeds into every facet of my life from my marriage to my friendships to my work, and then hopefully you view it too with your, your local church body through us, through a life group, and so on. And this comes from a really foundational but familiar passage to us. It's in Ephesians 4.16, and it says this, that God makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So just as individual sequoias form a whole grove, one grove known as the sequoias, isn't that cool? It's called, hey, let's go visit the sequoias. You know, there's a bunch of them. All believers in the church form one body. And so we could say it this way. Collaboration is built into our spiritual DNA. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. It goes like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think this is challenging for us today, in, uh, in especially in an American context more than ever, because uh, sociologists use this term, it's called uh, weak group versus strong group cultures. If you've never heard of this, it's really fascinating. So uh, America is what's known as a weak group culture. Weak group cultures value individualism over the community, versus strong group cultures say, hey, the community comes over individual. It's all about what is emphasized because, of course, both are important no matter where you live. But we live in what's known as a weak group culture that puts a way higher emphasis on individualism. And so what that does is that it's not all bad. No system, you know, we can't canonize any sort of culture as they have it all figured out. But the problem when you put in the individual in that high of a pedestal is that it tends to create people who go alone. And what happens when you go alone? Well, it's actually quite obvious. You end up alone. And this is a shocking stat right here, right? Those who go alone end up alone and are lonely. No, that's not, that's not shocking at all, but it's true. When you go alone, you are lonely. How interesting that we live in the most connected uh, day and age out of any time period in history, and we have more people that feel alone than ever. That's because when collaboration doesn't happen passively. We don't collaborate with one another naturally in the sense of, oh, I'm just gonna be passive about this. I'm gonna drift towards collaboration. No, you don't drift towards collaboration. You have to create, you have to foster collaboration to happen. And the other thing is, here's why we don't even do this because we're so, we're becoming more and more remote in our culture. For example, uh, if you have questions, you need answers, you probably turn to Google, which is gonna give you some interesting information, sometimes credible and sometimes not. If you need company, you have Netflix. Now, don't lie to me here. How many of you guys have watched a show and you're like, those are my friends? 
I'm a little bit introverted. I know I might seem extroverted up here, but I'm really introverted actually in a lot of tendencies. Total bookworm and things like that. But when I watch show, like when I watched Friends, I considered them my friends. Does anyone else feel that way and then watch the show? They're like, oh, these are my people. Yeah, they get me. No, they're not real. They're not real. But psychologically, what we've done is we've actually created a virtual reality. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to acknowledge that we've created a virtual reality that's not real. And so human connectivity is so important for us because when we end up going alone, we end up burned out, overwhelmed, lonely, exhausted, and feeling even less human. Imagine that. Because it's built into our spiritual DNA to collaborate, to go together, this idea of togetherness. And again, it's not because we're not doing this. It's because we have to evaluate, okay, these are the areas in my life that I'm doing this well, and these are the areas in my life that I can do this better. That's how we have to think through a message like this. But what's the question we're trying to answer today? It's actually quite simple. If the better ideal is to go together, how? How do we go together? How? How do we embody this ideal of collaboration? So if you have your Bibles, we're actually going to be in the book of Acts at first, and we're going to jump somewhere else, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 18. I encourage you to look at it with me, because if you just listen to me read it, you're probably going to miss some things. Uh, It's easy to, even if you're familiar with the Bible, but as you turn there, click there, or whatever, book of Acts, the important thing if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, because I don't know your familiarity with it, is that um, this is the story of the early church. This is the story of what happened post-Easter Sunday. This is what happened after the book, uh, the gospel accounts. So Jesus said, you know, the most amazing thing in human history happens, the resurrection, which we're actually going to be celebrating in close to 40-ish days. But what happens next? What's the next part between uh, the Christ's resurrection and his second coming? Because we're living in between the time. Well, the book of Acts introduces that. It's the launch of the church in that way. And the book of Acts has 28 chapters, but guess what? I venture to say we're living in Acts chapter 29. We're living in between the completion of it. So we're still living it out in a sense. So let's read here because uh, what we're going to find in this narrative, and it's kind of subtle to see, but we're going to see an example of collaboration in the early church. Because when we think of people like Peter, Paul, and all these big, uh, big names and such, the men and the women of the book of Acts and in the Bible, we tend to over, uh, we sometimes make them less human by putting them on such a high pedestal. But no, they're real people. And guess what? They didn't do this alone. They did this together. So let's take a a look at this text. So it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Ephesus was where a lot of pagan uh, life happened in the Roman world, but it was also a great place where uh, Paul set some deep roots for ministry. So he... uh, Apollos was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. And he taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained the way of God more adequately. Let's stop there. So how do we collaborate together? How do we go together? Well, we start by teaming up with people, like-minded people. If you think about what's going on in this narrative, and again, I said it's kind of easy to miss. We have this guy named Apollos who's also a Jew. Priscilla and Aquila were Jews. They're also Christians. You could be both. That's known as Messianic Jews. And that's what they were. And so Priscilla and Aquila took note of this man named Apollos who was very knowledgeable, was very learned. He was on the same team. He He was preaching accurately, but he seemed to be missing a piece of the puzzle. 
And you know, he said he only knew the baptism of John. Let me demystify that for you. All that's being said there is that he probably had followed Jesus to the extent that John the Baptist was able to. And remember how it happened to John the Baptist? He got beheaded by Herod. So point being is Apollos had an incomplete gospel. What he knew he was teaching accurately, but he was missing some really important crucial pieces with the death and resurrection. The parts that all of us Christians tend to emphasize, that important part. So Priscilla and Aquila take note. Like, hey, okay. Let, instead of chastising him, calling him out publicly, they, they put an arm around him and take them into their home and fill in the gaps and explain to him what he'd been missing more adequately. And so what they really do is they commit to helping him along the way. And in a similar sense, when we collaborate with people, whether you know it or not, you're actually committing to, have, to help others along their journey. And don't we help the same for us? Don't we want people in our life that believe in our potential, that want to help us go further? And again, the whole going further is only when we go together. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they took note. They're like, hey, this guy has a lot of potential. Let's invest in him. Because the power of collaboration comes from the belief that we function best when we invest in one another. That it's just, when, when I thrive and when you thrive, we thrive. And when we thrive, the kingdom thrives. And that's the win. But how often we think about thriving strictly as individuals. Strictly in the sense of when I'm doing well, that's just great for me. I also like this text because uh, if you're married or plan to be married or anything like that, you can glean from it. Priscilla and Aquila teamed up and their home became a place where the mission of God happened, where discipleship would happen. You know, in any relationship, marriage or any other relationship, but in this context of marriage, how often do we collaborate together for the kingdom? One of the things I encourage, you know, I, I really think that couples should serve together. And there's so many opportunities. Newbreak Church is never short of opportunities to serve. So that, let's get that excuse out of the way. And I get it. Life is busy. Life is messy. All of that, okay? But at the same time, let's find a way to serve together. Because when we serve together, I think there's a bond that's created there. That's really, really special. And how often, too, does the enemy try to make uh, our lives even more divided from one another, even in the context of relationships? As a married couple, the more and more things that you have that are separate and segregated from one another, the more and more you're probably going to have space from one another. And pretty soon, metaphorically or literally, you're sleeping on complete opposite sides of the bed. That's what happens over time. Again, collaboration doesn't happen passively. It happens actively. Marriages, friendships, church, workplace, everything. Any sort of collaboration has to be intentional. And so we commit to helping others along their journey as they commit to helping us as well. And this brings up a good thing, uh, a good point too, because when we think about collaboration, we think about fostering a culture that has a proper understanding of these three key words, independence, dependence, and interdependence. And now let's look at these three right here for a moment and think about these. Because if you were to look at those three words, which one do you think our culture has uh, maybe the highest affinity for, the, the greatest obsession with? Hint, it's the first one, independent. Isn't this the value that we teach in schools, that we teach one another, that, hey, it's all about being independent? Like, hey, the, the more independent you are, the more mature you are. Like anything that has maybe the wrong notion, there's always a little bit of truth in there. Because there is a healthy side to independence, but man, if we think independence means I have to be able to do it all on my own, then guess what? We don't see the value of not just community, but collaboration. 
I, uh, Pastor Robert, who you saw the video of, actually, he was on the video. Uh, he's the executive pastor of All New Break Church, and he was telling me something really cool that really stuck with me. When it comes to these three words, he uses it when he raises his kids. And uh, he says, I want my kids to be independent of me, dependent on God, and interdependent with one another. And I thought that was cool. Take that however you would like. But uh, So again, if our culture obsesses over independence, even to the point where we have Independence Day, not demonizing that, Independence Day is a great day and all that, but isn't that the thing that we kind of put on the pedestal? Isn't that the kind of thing that we say that is the ideal? But is it? What if, what if we put a greater emphasis on, hey, you know what? Like, I do need to cultivate this part of me that has a greater dependency on God. You never outgrow your dependency on God. And that's where we have to flip the script a little bit. Because we think of independence as the greater ideal, but when it comes to maturity as a Christian, dependence is actually a greater sign of maturity. You know, I'm still young as a leader and everything, but when I talk to those who uh, mentor me and such and who have been down the road for much longer than me, you know what I notice that I like to lean into? They're even more dependent on God than I am, and I find that inspiring. Because there are so many things I still try to do in my own strength, and what I learn from them is that they are leaning even more into God. I mean, if God is the infinite being, who better to lean into and to gain from? God doesn't need you, so the dependence is one way, of course. He doesn't need you, but guess what? He wants you. And that's important to note, too. But interdependence is really what we're talking about today because that's the idea of kind of like the sequoias when our lives become really shared with one another, when our roots uh, metaphorically become one and they're fused together. This is one of the most difficult things that we see in the American church is how fractured we are, not because necessarily we're having fights with one another, but because our lives are so separated from one another. If you travel to other countries in the world and see how they do church, It is mind-boggling how shared life is. It's mind-boggling how much these people are involved and interdependent. And that's because there is a sense by necessity they have to be interdependent. I wonder sometimes if our luxury of how able we're able to get along on our own is serving us or going against us. Just a thought. Also, think about the way that God created you and wired you. I'm really, really interested with the idea that God could have very well made you and me with uh, the complete package. We could have all the spiritual gifts, all the things necessary that when the body of Christ comes together has, but in one person. Each of us could have had that on his very own because God could have created us that way, but he chose not to. God created us with strengths and gifts to contribute, but only when we lean into it together. You see, some of us don't value ourselves enough to where what we can bring to the table. Interdependence only works if we are actually in that together. Interdependence and collaboration don't exist when one of us is trying to do collaboration. See, it's a mutual commitment there. So what keeps us from collaborating? Well, we have to look in our Bibles, and uh, you see it as the point right there too as well, but it comes down to many things, but really at the essence of how you want to summarizing it, Pride is what keeps us from collaborating together. So if we want to see collaboration exist in your relationships, in your workplace, in your church, wherever, pride has to leave. We'll talk about that. So in this passage, which I'll read to you, Paul's writing to Corinth, the church in Corinth, and they have lots of issues. And he's burdened and sad by 
the disruptive and divisive behavior taking place. So let's read what he says, because he's coming down on them a little bit here, says to prepare you, but let's see what we can glean from this. He says this, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. He's calling them babies. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. But God has been making the whole thing grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll each be recorded, uh, rewarded according to their own labor. But we are God's co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So what keeps us from collaborating? Well, we have to leave behind pride to pursue collaboration, because here's the thing about pride and collaboration. You will never find them in the same room together. They don't exist in the same room. Have you ever heard that like funny joke, you know, like, oh, like, have you ever seen Batman and me in the same room? And that's that person, yeah, it's kind of lame. Anyways, the point being, pride and collaboration will never be in the same room together. One of them has to leave. Well, which is it? Which is going to be the one? Have you ever been in a meeting, maybe in your workplace, in your family, wherever it takes place, and you're trying to come to a, a community decision on something, but someone just seems to steamroll it? Well, guess what that is? That is pride. That's not a collaborative attitude. It's one of the hardest things about collaboration, and I'll tell you this, because uh, I do work on a highly collaborative team, um, it's so tempting to like idolize, or I'm sorry, make an ideal out of collaboration until your idea doesn't win out or until it's, you don't get your way. See, we all want collaboration until it's not our way. That's the hard part. We have to know that by leaning into collaboration, leaning into the strengths and resources allotted to us through our relationships, that sometimes we might be so blind to what the wisdom might be in the room that sometimes we have to lay aside our pride and say, hey, you know what? Not my way here. Whatever we think is best. And that is really hard for us to do. So instead of uh, having a prideful attitude to, for collaboration to exist, we have to pursue unity over division. And, you know, long story short about what was going wrong in Corinth is they were having a problem elevating what made them unique over what made them unified. Here's where it's going to get messy and tricky because when we have disagreements with one another, we tend to emphasize and die on a hill for the things that make us different instead of remembering the things that connect us, the things that make us unified. And that's really important because uh, guess what? The church, New Break Church as a whole even, I've talked to quite a few people. We have very different political affiliations. We have people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, different from culture, different cultures, people from different states. California is a melting pot, especially San Diego too, especially with military presence and everything. So we have, long story short, we have people from all over, very diverse backgrounds. How do we call this thing, this church, this entity, one body when it's so diverse? Because we're unified where it counts most. You see, unity doesn't mean uniformity. 
And that's a mistake when we think of it for unity to exist, we all have to become the exact same person or have the exact same gifts or anything like that. No, no, unity doesn't mean uniformity. It just means that we acknowledge and even, let's say, lean into the differences about us. Some of the most enriching conversations I've had with people are people that do have different political <laughs> affiliations, people who are, come from very different cultural backgrounds and such. And we can still have unity. Because guess what? Guess what at the end of the day unites us? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you are a believer, a Christian, what unites us is that Jesus is our king. And having Jesus as your king outweighs all the maybe hundreds of differences between us. That one thing far outweighs it. Because again, like I said with the whole individualism thing, individualism is a good thing, but when we take it too far, it becomes a bad thing. When we take it too far to think that, uh, you know, and forget that we're not merely individuals, we're individuals who are part of a single body. So if I can give you um, what I think is the the devil's very tactics to hinder us as people and as the church, I think it's division, dispersion, and distraction. Division, dispersion, and distraction are the enemy's secret to hinder the church. Because guess what? The enemy can't stop you. He can't stop us. He can't, uh, you know, the he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. The enemy can't actually stop the work of God. But what he can do is hinder us as his people. And I have this picture in my mind, and this is just an allegory, but I have this mi- picture in my mind where the, 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 de- the demons are talking amongst each other and saying, okay, you know what, if we can't stop them, how do we at least hinder them? How do we slow them down? And I just pictured the devil standing up amongst them, those who are uh, less informed as he is, and with a, he's the mastermind of the organization, right? And he says to them, you know what, the way to hinder these Christians is to get them to aim their arrows in a million different directions aim their arrows a million different directions. And doesn't that describe like what happens in division? Because most time when things are divided, it's not that people have bad intentions. They sometimes even have great goals or great aims and great aspirations. But sometimes what happens is we start aiming our arrows all a million different directions that we're not even targeting the same thing. And when we don't target the same thing, we don't have the same impact. So that's why I think division, dispersion, distraction are enemy secrets to slowing us down. And so when we actually pursue unity instead over division, what we get to do is we actually get to gang up on the problems that we see in the world, the things that make you angry about the way that the world is. We get to gang up on the problems instead of ganging up on one another. Because think about it. If everyone here, if we just took a poll and like, hey, what do you think we should invest our time into solving in the world? And let's say we got like 20 different ideas. Well, if we all break off into twos and just go work on those 20 ideas, it's not going to be nearly the same impact versus when we say, hey, you know what? We're all going to collaborate, co-labor, and work on one goal together. That will have a greater impact. Also, what we have to do, too, is uh, commit to collaboration over competition. And competition, uh, this is a lot more broad than some people think. You're like, well, I'm not against, you know, I'm looking around the room, I'm not against any of these people, so this isn't competitive. No, competition is much, much more broad. Like my example earlier, think about times when you're trying to make a decision together in your relationships in the workplace. If you don't allow it to be a unified decision, even when it's not in agreement with you, that's a competitive attitude too. Because competition is always about, hey, I'm better. My idea is better. My way of doing things is better. But collaboration is difficult because sometimes we have to compromise 
for the greater ideal. And that's what's so hard about it. And if you think about team sports, uh, you know, I'm a huge NFL football fan. Anyone NFL fans here? I want to make sure because I'm going to say something cool. Okay, enough people in here. Uh, do you guys at least know what football is? I can, I can track enough what I'm about to say. Cool. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, so uh, this year, the league MVP of the NFL, you don't have to know him, his name is Lamar Jackson. He played on the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens didn't even make it to the Super Bowl. Everyone here knows what the Super Bowl is. The Ravens didn't even make it to the Super Bowl, even though they had the league MVP who was the best player in the league, no question about it. Why is that? Well, because usually in a, a team sport, the team that wins the championship isn't always the one with the best individual. It's the one who has the best team. And the thing about teamwork, too, is it has to be cohesive. You can have very talented individuals, but you see this a lot in basketball, where uh, the talented individuals aren't working together. It doesn't matter if you have all the talent in the world. If there's not cohesion and collaboration, your team's probably not going to win the championship. Here's a cool acronym for team, in fact, because I think that team is something that the church really is. And if you don't see the church as a team, then man, I think we need to really, really reorient theologically how we see the church and how we see ourselves as part of it. So team uh, really stands for this. Together, everyone achieves more. Together, everyone achieves more. Do you want to achieve more? I mean, pretty simple question. Like, yes, I can assume your answer right now is going to be yes. If you want to achieve more, you have to see this as a team and you have to participate on the team. And that's where we have to learn to share because any team is all about sharing. And this isn't just something we teach our kids. This is something as adults we have a hard time doing. In fact, look at that list. Share resources, share control, share credit. Which one is hardest for you? Which one is most difficult? Perhaps even two on there are difficult. Share resources. You have to think about the things that we have, the things that we have in our possession. Uh, Guess what? Not shocking news here. Not everyone has the same resources allotted to them. What resources you have may not be what someone else's have. Share control. Think about the positions you hold, the influence you have. You can share that. Invite people into it, especially those of you who maybe are entrepreneurs, business owners, or at least in a sort of leadership role that has more influence than those around you, I really challenge you in your leadership to invite people to give feedback, to actually listen to what they have to say, to let their voice be heard in a way that they feel validated, that they can come to you with ideas. Do you know how empowering that is as a lead, for those around you? Do you know how much they're going to uh, respect you even more as a leader in your own space when you give value to their voice? When they know that, hey, it's not just you have a time that you'll check the email inbox of suggestions, you're going to have a meeting with them and actually care. That shows a lot. So what is God calling you to share this week? What, what kind of control do you need to maybe release a little bit on your hand on? And how about credit? Who deserves more praise? I bet there's a lot of times that we're able to make ourselves look good based on what other people do for us. How do we need to share the credit? And the cool thing about being on Newbreak staff as a church, uh, I get to see this on the inside, and this isn't just something that Newbreak says, it's something we do, it's something we truly do value. Uh, two of our values are do it together and give it away. Do it together and give it away. I can't think of a single thing that happens in Newbreak from executive decision making to outreach to sermon prep, anything that happens in the organization of Newbreak, everything is collaborative. I have been on staff at three churches and I have never, ever seen a more collaborative environment. 
I have never, ever seen it. And I really think that's why Newbreak is going so far. I mean, uh, with all five campuses, we're just under 3,000 people, so it's not that much. It's a lot, but it's also not that much. But all that we're doing in the local San Diego area and in the world is astonishing for the size. Because it's not just about shooting our arrows a million different directions, because I really feel that Newbreak is doing it together. And what we're trying to do is saying, hey, you know what? This is not just something we value in a leadership side of church, but guess what? You in this room are also part of that. You know, often uh, I get called, or other people too on staff probably get called a minister. The irony is actually we're not the ministers. As soon as you enter the ministry, you stop being a minister because all you start to do is prepare the true ministers for what happens outside of Sunday. That's the great irony of it is I'm not actually the minister, you guys are. My job is to prepare you for Monday through Saturday. And then this is when we get together and kind of share hopefully helpful ideas and uh, praise the Lord and come together and encourage one another. It's everything that happens out here. You guys are the ministers, according to 1 Peter 2.9. Let's keep going, let's keep going. Okay, so I want us to imagine here for a moment what can happen if we saw our family, our workplace, our church life, our neighborhood, our community look like a true body. Think back to the sequoias again, to where the body of Christ really was a body. And we don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to reread to you the last two verses that we just read in 1 Corinthians 3. I think this is something really profound. And it says this in verses uh, 8 through 9. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. We are co-workers in God's service. And in the Greek text, it's actually even way more explicit. I don't feel like the translation does it justice to make it say that we are actually co-workers with God. So I really want to dig into this for a moment. That means that God considers us his method to accomplish his mission. And even further than that, when Jesus told you to follow him, when Jesus said, whenever, whatever that moment was in your life that you're like, I want to respond to Jesus, he actually also said, I want to collaborate with you. Jesus wants to collaborate with you on his world-redeeming project. God invites us to partner with him. And I remember this time when I was probably seven or eight years old. I wasn't, I'm not crafty even today, and my dad wasn't crafty. I was in awe of what he was doing, but looking back, he was just nailing in some two-by-fours, so it's really not that impressive. But he was nailing away, and I was just watching him. He's my dad. I was so in awe. And he turned toward me and I'll never forget the way it felt when he handed me the hammer and he's like try it so I did and I hit the nail barely went in it went crooked I hit my finger did all the things wrong do you know how good that felt though to watch your dad doing his thing and then he hands you the hammer and says do it with me son guys the cool thing about that real life story is that it's even a more real life story for all of us because God the Father he doesn't just hand you the hammer and make you feel part of it you are part of it he says I want to invite you into the family business hey you know this worldwide uh, redemption project of you know rescuing the world from all the problems that you see the very things that you complain that God's not doing enough in (laughs) The funny thing is, he's like, well, it's because I invited you to do it with me. 
any complaint you have is because you, maybe you're not taking my hand enough in this. I'm trying to do this with you. God collaborates with us. This idea of collaboration is not just because we need one another, and it's not because God needs us, but God desires to collaborate with us. I cannot get that image on my head that the father wants to reach out to you and say, hey, son, daughter, child, take the hammer, collaborate with me, join me. Do you know how often I talk to people who have complaints about how boring their faith is, how dull the Bible is? I've never talked to someone who is in a life group, who serves that church, and is part of their local community somehow. It doesn't matter if it's this church or another, but just a part of their local community church that thinks that their faith is boring. Because here's the thing. The Christian life is only dull and unfulfilling when you're sitting on the sidelines. It's not a spectator sport. There are some sports that are fun to watch. Uh, The NFL, I really enjoy watching football. I'll tell you that much. But the Christian life's not that way. If you watch other people doing their thing, you you don't live vicariously the same way through it. In fact, I I, I really, I want to challenge you here because, um, and hopefully this doesn't land the wrong way, I hope this lands the right way with you, but I really feel like the problem with some of our faith is that it's so theoretical and not experiential our belief in Jesus is just this private belief and not a life-altering experience. And I want us to like know that, hey, again, the Father's inviting you to something because the way he wired you. He wired you in such a way, and he, guess what? He doesn't designate any bench warmers. He does not designate any bench warmers. You're not just part of his uh, family. He's not just redeeming you. He's inviting you onto his team, and he does not have any bench warmers. Whatever way you're wired, he didn't make a mistake. It's not like a biological father who maybe didn't have the decision on the way that you're wired. The heavenly father is the very father that also wired you the way that you are. So guess what? Next time you think, I wish I was wired the way that person is, they're probably thinking the same thing. They're probably looking at you and being like, man, I wish I had that. The way you're wired is not a mistake. He has a place for you on his roster to participate in his mission. And when the Father's mission becomes your mission, do you know the joy that takes place? When I took my dad's hammer and started hammering away, do you know the joy that takes place? I I, I talk to so many people who want the joy of Jesus, but they don't want the mantle of Jesus. Guess what? When you serve like Jesus, the joy of Jesus comes with it. It's really a package deal. And how many people want the peace of God, but not the priorities of God? (laughs) The peace of God and the priorities of God are a package deal. The joy of Jesus comes with serving with Jesus on the same project. And so um, as, as we begin to wrap up, I have this awesome quote that I purposely did not tell who it was from. So read this with me. And it says, there was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more, to see if they can work together where we needed them to, to fight the battles that we never could. Does anyone know where this quote comes from? You can shout out if you know it. What? Yes, yes, Avengers, yes. This is Nick Fury right here. Nick Fury in the Avengers, the first one, uh, talking about the idea of bringing together this epic team. Love that movie, love all the superhero movies, very nerdy about it, Uh, glad to nerd out over it. Great quote, why am I bringing this up here? Because what if the world looked at the church, looked at our lives, and not as just individuals, but how we collaborate together and said, that's the church. A group of remarkable people that when they come together, they're able to do something more, that when we have issues, when we have problems, when we need solutions, we go to them. 
Because when they come together, man, they find a way to make it happen. Can this be said about us? Yes. In fact, some of us, are, when we talk about our purpose, I am I'm hardly ever shocked, I'm hardly ever impressed by when people talk about their purpose because it's so small. They talk about their purpose and they're like, yeah, you know, just to, uh, you know, pr- provide for my family and all that. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Dude. That's important. That's good. That's, uh, that's so much more grand. In fact, the purpose that God invites you into is so much bigger than you that it literally is crushing if you try to carry it on your own. God invites you into something that's so big, so grand, that in fact it requires collaboration take place. If we want a dream like that to where our neighborhood, that where PB would look to this church, for example, as in this area for PB, Pacific Beach, San Diego, they would say, hey, these are the people who will carry the fight that we can't. These are the people that make solutions where we have problems. That only works if we decide to do it together. And the cool thing, guys, is again, this isn't something that is coming from a ground zero to 100. This is something that's already happening at Newbreak. We need to recognize that. The clean water projects, just to highlight one, Liberia, a country, is about to have clean water from the generosity of all Newbreak churches working together in that. I know that's just a financial one, so I get that. But also as a church in this area, Tony sent me a list of things that have been going on in the past year alone. I was just overwhelmed. All the things that you guys do in this area. Again, there's not a shortage of opportunities. This is a chance for us to jump in and be the hands and feet of Jesus in this. So here's the secret sauce formula for us today. Collective goals plus collaborative effort equals community impact. And the hard part about this is I think we all want community impact. We all want to live for something that's so much larger than us. And collaborative effort, we're like, yeah, we got to do that. The hardest part about that is the first one, collective goals. And we've been talking about this this morning, but it's, it's that we have to align our arrows. We have to set our sights on the same target. If you're part of a life group, can I just challenge you in something? One, if you're not part of a life group, join a life group. They're offered every trimester, and I'm sure there'd be people who would take you into their life group even now. Join a life group. And I want to challenge you, if you're in a life group, have a clearly defined written goal. Don't just meet for the sake of meeting. That's great and all, and God, God can definitely use that. Write a goal. Hey, our goal, our mission statement as a life group is X, Y, Z, whatever. I challenge you, collective goals is one of the most profound things a company does. But as individuals, when we come together, when we're unified by the fact that our faith is in King Jesus, if the church would do this more, have collective goals, do you know the kind of power that is unlocked in that? That's the secret sauce formula. Because no one of us is as capable resourceful and impactful and effective as all of us. That's just a fact. I want to close with a story. I was at the beach a few months ago. Um, actually, it was last summer, so it was quite some time ago now. And it was, uh, it was amazing because there was these two groups of kids. It could not have been better laid out for me. I was like, yes, I need to write this down. And so two groups of kids, all about the ages five to eight. Group A, Seriously, this is like an exhibit. I can't believe this happened in front of my own eyes. Group A, they all have their shovels. They are digging their holes and building their sandcastles individually, doing their thing. All these kids, they're even competing, kind of throwing sand at one another. Mine's better than yours, all that stuff. Group B, over here, have their shovels. They're digging one hole together, and they're building one sandcastle right here together. 
Guess what happens inevitably at the beach? The waves come, the tide comes up. First off, guess whose hole was bigger? And guess whose sandcastle was able to withstand the inevitable waves? It's not rocket science, people. <laughs> it's not. The, the example of kids, the example of children, is just is forever imprinted in my brain. My question to you is simple. Which better resembles your lifestyle? Because here's the thing. I'm not downplaying any of you guys. Like, I don't know many of you personally, but I bet you, are very, uh, you have high aspirations. You're very passionate. You have things you're interested in. You're very capable. You're gifted. All of those things are 100% true about all of us here, whether you know it and are confident in it or not. My thing is, are you using that shovel to do your own thing, your own agenda, or are we collaborating, having collective goals to do something impactful together? So take inventory of your relationships. For married couples, is it collaborative decision-making or is it unilateral decision-making? For those of us with kids, or even if you don't have kids, you're around younger people. So I'll broaden it out a little bit there. Kids or just around people who are younger than you by any amount of years. Look for ways to invite them in. Look for ways to get their feedback. Look for ways to engage them, even if they can't do it as well as you, even if they aren't as articulate as you, don't have as great of ideas as you. Invite feedback. Create collaboration where there's not collaboration. When it comes to your local church, is this a place you attend? Is this, are you an attender or are you a contender for what's going on? A contender is someone who fights for something. Is this a place you watch and you, you, you come as a spectator and say, hey, yeah, that's cool. Actually, you know what? My church does so many cool things. Let me tell you about them. Or are you saying, yeah, guess what? We do cool things because I'm part of it. Whatever your participation level, you are part of it if you choose to engage in any of it. Move from an attender to a contender. So basically, it really just comes to how much do we want to see the gospel thrive in PB by partnering together? How do we want to see our personal lives, our marriages, our relationships, our workplaces, and our church thrive by having collaboration created in every aspect of it? And I'm telling you this because as a staff, we, we really are trying to model this even from a staff level. So I hope that we're challenged to consider our role in all of this. So in light of everything that's been said, let's just commit to collaboration because no one of us is as smart, resourceful, and effective as all of us. Let's pray. Father, it's just an incredible honor to think about how the creator of all the cosmos is inviting us into something so much bigger than us. Lord, I, if there's fear in the room, I fear that, I pray that you would dispel it. If there's objections, if there's, this isn't for me, I, I pray that you would challenge us. God, and I pray for every person here that they would learn to discover more of their role in your mission and in your body. I pray that everyone here would leave wanting to experience more of your joy, more of your peace, and that they would find that as they engage with you and with your mission and your cause. God, you are the good and heavenly Father who reaches out your hand and gives us a hammer. I pray that we would use it and we would join you. Life is too short to be lived a dull and boring faith. Let's pray also in Jesus' name. Amen.